Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. Or or every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Father, would you hold now before our eyes... Uh, The beauty of your son. The beauty of the one who is the light of the world. So that we may know his love for us. So that we may love him more. And so that we may love one another. Uh, We come to his words uh, this morning that that are well known. But in many ways are still strange to us. All this talk of abiding, of vines and branches and fruit. So, Father, we come dependent. We come needy. We we come asking for you to help us now as as we come to these words that you've given to us. Uh, May your spirit open our minds and our hearts. May he convict us of sin, lead us to repentance, uh, to faith. And the resulting obedience to Jesus. And we pray it all in his name. Amen. My four-year-old has a motorcycle. Which sounds dangerous. (laughs) Except it's not a motorcycle. Uh, It's a little balance bike that he has redefined as a motorcycle. And I don't mean that he pretends this every once in a while. I mean, he says to me things like, Daddy, would you go outside and get my motorcycle and bring it inside so that it doesn't get wet in the rain? He has completely reimagined that bike 
as a motorcycle. Jesus here in John chapter 15 performs an even more powerful act of imagination. You are a stick. Your life, he says, is a stick that has potential for for bearing, for growing fruit if it is connected to the right vine that is connected to the right divine farmer. But Jesus here spins this metaphor, speaks of his imagination for us, not not just for artistic or for poetic purposes. No, he does it to change us. To transform us. He doesn't want to just say a metaphor. He wants us to live in this metaphor. He wants his imagination to capture our imagination. And shape the way that we think, feel, and act. And so this morning... I want us to take a few moments and consider the imagination of Jesus. I want us to open our lives to this metaphor and allow it to change us. And we'll do that by asking two questions. First of all, what's the picture? What's the meaning of the metaphor? And second of all, how do we live in it? First of all, what is it? What is the picture that Jesus wants to draw of our lives? And this image here in John 15, like most of the images in the Gospel of John, has a history. And it has a history rooted, pun fully intended, a history rooted in the Old Testament. You see, in the, in the Old Testament, one of the most common ways to speak of the people of God, the covenant people of God, the nation of Israel, is as a vine. With the image of a vine. Psalm 80, one among many examples, sings the story of how God plucked up his vine from slavery in Egypt and replanted that vine for flourishing in a new land. And to fully grasp the power of this image, you've got to understand that the only vine that mattered in this world, in this culture, was the vine that produced grapes. And the vine that produced grapes, not primarily for eating, but for making wine. The history of God with His people is the history of a winemaker. His purpose, His mission for His people is that they would taste... Of his joy. That they would taste of his goodness. That they would be a taste of his wisdom. A taste of his joy for the world. That's his mission for his people. That's the picture of his people. And Jesus wants to put you in that picture. You know how when we eat something or drink something that is delicious, we say, who made that? Where did that come from? That's the picture here. That when the world would taste our lives, they would say, 
Who made that? Where did that come from? And they would be drawn to the divine winemaker. Jesus wants to put us in that picture. He wants to make your life a drink of God's joy for the world around you. And he does that by making two changes to this image from the Old Testament. He first of all replaces the vine and then he adds branches. So instead of the instead of Israel as the vine, he says, I am the vine. He puts himself as the vine. And then he says, people are branches that are either connected to or disconnected from me. And why does Jesus make these changes to that image? Well, because if you go to all of those instances in the Old Testament where it uses the imagery of the vine to speak of God's people, it is almost always in a negative context. It is almost always speaking about loss. This is what should have been God's people bearing fruit as a taste of God's goodness for the world. But because of their idolatry and sin, the vine is now broken down. The vine has now become barren. That's what's going on in Psalm 80. As it sings and remembers that story of what God has done through His people, it becomes a cry, it becomes a prayer for the broken down and barren vine for God to come once again and renew it, refresh it. Jesus is saying that He is the answer to that prayer. He is the answer to that prayer. Cry. He is the renewal. He is the refreshing of that vine, of that vision. You see, Jesus makes possible, once again, fruitfulness. Not just for the nation of Israel, but for all of those who believe in Him. Jesus wants to make your life the wine of God. That's what he was about from the beginning of his ministry. You remember how the, I've said before that the Gospel of John is organized around a series of signs. These miraculous actions that Jesus does. Not only to demonstrate and prove that he is powerful, but to communicate who he is. To communicate his mission and his purpose. Anybody remember what the first of those signs was? John chapter 2? Not healing the sick, not casting out a demon, not even raising the dead. The first sign that Jesus performed to show what he was about was turning water into wine at a wedding feast. And he does that to say that's what he wants to do with your life. That's what he wants to do with our life, church. Together, And we need to let that picture come into contact with the pictures that we want to draw about ourselves. Or the pictures that our culture, other people want to draw about us. 
Because see, the choice isn't between living metaphorically and living literally, whatever that means. The choice is which metaphor? The choice is whose imagination will shape your life. So for example, last week, last Sunday, the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl wanted to imagine you as a stomach, as endless appetite for possessions and experiences. There are those who want to imagine you, they want to draw you as a machine. Your value in how much and how effectively you can produce. We, I think often, we want to imagine ourselves, we want to draw ourselves as superheroes. Able to live beyond normal human limitations. Able to fix, to save the people, the situations, and the world around us. But do you see how each of those images, how each of those metaphors puts the focus on you? It is what you can purchase. It's what you can produce. It's what you can accomplish. And that is a weight you can't bear. That will crush you. Self-dependence always becomes self-harm. Self-dependence always becomes self-harm. Do you see, though, how Jesus draws a better picture. He draws a picture that of significance that comes from and returns to God. The possibility of a fruitful life that is the result not of what you can accomplish, but what a, God, a result of what God can accomplish through His Son in and through you. It is about what the Son can do To the glory of the Father. And so it is a life that isn't about your appetites. It's a life that becomes about you becoming nourishment. Becoming a taste. Becoming a drink of God's joy for others. For the world around you. It's a life not about what you can produce and accomplish. But what God can produce and accomplish in and through you for his glory, even if to you that seems small and ordinary. Isn't this a better picture that Jesus draws for us? Isn't this a better metaphor? And it's not just for you as an individual. Center point is for us as a church. We exist to be a taste. We exist to be a taste of the delight of what it means to worship and to belong to our God. We don't exist to fix all of the problems around us. We don't exist to save the world. We exist to be a drink. To be a sip of what it means to belong to God. That's the picture. That's the metaphor Jesus wants us to live. But that raises our second question. How? How does that happen? 
How do we live out and in that picture that Jesus draws for our lives? And at first, that, the, the answer to that question seems very intimidating. Bear fruit, Jesus tells us, commands us. Bear fruit. And there's a hard edge of judgment to that, isn't there? Bear fruit or else. Bear fruit or else you'll be cut off and thrown away into the fire. That's scary. That's intimidating. But please, please, please notice. Who is it in this text? Who is it that bears fruit? Is it the one who does the most? Is it the one who does the best? Is that who bears fruit? No, verses 4 and 5. Who bears fruit? Whoever abides in me. I in him, he in me. That's the one. That is the one who bears fruit. Fruit bearing isn't the result of furious and excellent activity. It's the result of abiding. And that word abide, it's one of the most common words in the Gospel of John. I mentioned it last week. It's a part of that group of words in this Gospel that speak of home. They speak of the reality and the experience, the truth of home. So who is the one who bears fruit? It is the one who who finds his or her home in Jesus. We become the wine of God by dwelling in the house of God through Christ. In Him. That's how we become this metaphor. But still, how does that happen? How does that happen? How does it happen That we dwell in the house of God. That we find a home in Jesus that produces this fruit in our lives. Well, verse 9. Jesus expands abide in me to what? To abide in my love. And what is his love? Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this. And that someone lay down his life for his friends. Never forget the context of this conversation that's happening in these chapters. When did this conversation happen? It happened the night before Jesus died. So his love, what is his love? It is that which propels him to the cross. It is that which propels him to lay down his life for us. It is what leads him to the cross where the true vine is cut off, is cast out. Bearing judgment. Bearing that edge of judgment on behalf of those who believe in him. So that he can draw us in. So that he can bring us near. So that he can connect us to that fruit producing life. 
that connection is what theologians call our union with Christ. Which is this mysterious, John Calvin called it mystical. It is this mysterious link to Jesus. As a result of what he has done, and through which all of the blessings of God's grace, all of God's favor flows into our lives, including a fruitful life. The fruit that Jesus calls us to bear is a result of our union with him. Our connection to him. It is through what he has done. It is through who he is for us that this power, this life flows into us and enables us to become the wine of God. We live this metaphor by dwelling, by living, by trusting, by resting in what Jesus has done for us. By living in union with Him, not a union that we create, but a union that we recognize, that we realize, that we receive, that we become more increasingly aware of, so that this love, the one who laid down His life for us, the one who has called us friends, So that that identity of being the friend of Jesus, the one on whose behalf he laid down his life, so that that love would seep into the deepest part of who we are. Would become our core heart identity. Befriended. Beloved. By the one who laid down his life. This week I'll travel to Laguna Beach in Panama City. And I will travel there not for vacation, but for a presbytery meeting. (laughs) Which means that I will sit for a little over a day and a half in a conference room with my back to this large window that looks out onto the beautiful scene of the beach and the ocean. And that means that I will sit for a day and a half every once in a while glancing over my shoulder and longing for union. (laughs) Longing for connection to that emerald water. The cross of Jesus must become that ocean for us. It must become what draws us, what draws our deepest desires and needs, what draws our deepest guilt and shame, that we would be drawn with all of that into the ocean of His love, into the ocean of the One who laid down His life for us. So that he could transform us into the wine of God. And here's where my illustration breaks down. 
that union, that connection, if you are in Jesus, if you have believed in him, it already exists. It is not something that you have to work towards. It is not something that you have to accomplish. It is something that he has accomplished for you by stretching out his arms to embrace you into the household of God, to lay down his life for you, his friend. He has connected you. He has brought you into this union that will produce fruit in your life. And so what we must do daily is awaken to that. We must daily come again to the cross of Jesus, not just as a place of facts to to assent to, but as a place to swim in. To rest in. To soak in the love that He has poured out with His blood for us. That's what it means to abide in Him. That is how we live in union with Him. Is increasingly coming to recognize the union that He has made with us. Through his death. And although we don't create this union as activity with our activity, there are activities, there are practices that help us to live in this union that will produce fruit in our lives. And there are two here in this text that I can't spend a lot of time developing, but let me mention them. Two practical ways to abide in Christ's love this week. First of all, community. Church. Jesus says in verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you abide in me, which seems to undermine everything I've just said. Unless you remember, what is Jesus commanding here? Love one another. Live life together. It is in the life of of the church that Jesus has given us a concrete practice to come and to know and to dwell in his love. There's a lot more I could say about it, but let me just say this. It elevates the importance of what we're doing right here, right now. It elevates the importance of the other practices that we do as a church as we gather in small groups and other activities. Those aren't just Stuff to do. They're not just programs because we're stuff, we're supposed to do that as a church. They are ways for us to abide. You can't abide by yourself. We have to abide together. So one way to dwell in Christ's love and which produces fruit in our lives is community. Second practice is prayer. Jesus several times in this text, and he does it in Chapter 14 as well, he says, ask. Ask of the Father in my name. We dwell on his love through prayer, and that is not just making requests. Notice there that the requests flow 
from the relationship. So the prayer through which we dwell, through which we come to recognize this union is a, are those requests that flow from relationship. It is saying, Father, and then stopping for a moment and reflecting on, meditating on what made that possible. What makes it possible for you to cry out, Father? Was the son laying down his life for you, his friend. My four-year-old will outgrow imagining his bike as a motorcycle. But let's never outgrow the imagination of Jesus. Let's never outgrow the imagination of Jesus. Live this week as a stick connected by faith to the vine who wants to make your life a taste of the goodness of God. Let's pray.